What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. and welcome to this special bonus edition of Truth and Justice. I'll tell you guys up front that I'm battling, as I'm sure you can hear, with some pretty serious laryngitis. Uh, so my voice isn't everything it should be, and uh, I may be losing it. Seems like it's going away. Uh, brought some sickness back from Memphis with me. Uh, but I wanted to get this episode out. There's just there's a lot of partial information that's been spread out there about what happened in West Memphis this week. Uh, so I want to I want to make sure I explain to everybody everything that happened, what it means, and what we're going to be doing next from here. So we're going to take a quick break right here, and uh, I'll break it all down for you as best I can. There's going to be no uh, there's no script for this. Uh, I'm not even sending it to Kelly to be edited. I'm just going to clean it up a little bit and put it out there. So um, this will be pretty raw and rough, but just wanted to get the information out, and this is the best way that I can reach the most people to do that. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, first things first, uh, I want to make sure I make very clear what was going on this week. I know most of you have followed along, but if you happen to just see West Memphis 3 in the title of this and listen, you're not familiar with our show or what's been going on. I'll just give you a quick little rundown. Uh, you know, the, the case, the Damien, Jason, and Jesse accepted and released were released on an Alfred plea in 2011. When they did that, what an Alfred plea is, is they agree to plead guilty but maintain their innocence. And on the prosecution side, they basically vacate the conviction, the original conviction, reconvict them with this new guilty plea, 
And then the sentence imposed is time served. So it's the time they've already served in prison. So they got to leave that day. They got to walk free on that day in 2011. Once they did that, they were free, but they were still convicted. And the case essentially sat dormant then uh, for, well, what's now been almost 11 years. Uh, but in 2017, I started working on the case again uh, here on the podcast for Truth and Justice. I met Damien and Jason and Jesse all in that year, uh, and along with several family members of the victims. And as you guys know, season five is an exhaustive look at the case. I mean, there's hundreds of hours of podcasts there where we dug through every little detail in the case. Through that process, it was my determination that there's just no chance that these three are guilty. Uh, and what I wanted to do is find justice, as we called season five, the forgotten West Memphis three, because I wanted to find justice for Stevie, Michael and Christopher, the three victims. Uh, if, if Damien, Jason and Jesse are innocent, then that means the killer is still out there. Uh, so I, I went to all three of them and asked them if they're willing to move forward with an investigation and with possible new testing and all three were on board with that. Uh, throughout that process, and then we ended up making the auction docu series, The Forgotten West Memphis Three. Uh, and through that process, working with my friend Jim Clementi, uh, he introduced us to MBAC DNA technology, which is a new technology for extracting DNA from. I mean, they've they've solved cases finding DNA from rocks from 20 years prior. It was pretty impressive technology. I actually, went to the lab in California, had a demonstration. Talk to the to the analyst there, the technician that works on the MBAC DNA uh, that actually does this process, and uh, and she recommended to me. You know, I asked her, you know, what could we test? She could, we, she had the full list of evidence for the case. What could we test uh, that may still have results? I mean, it's a, it's a tough case. Everything was submerged in water for a day. It's now been twenty nine years since the since the triple homicide. And she suggested, she said she would test a lot of things. She would test probably um, the clothing, the sticks, um, even the bikes. She said she may be able to get some out of. But she said if we had to narrow it down, the most likely place that we will find the killer's DNA will be in the knots from the bindings from the boys. For a number of reasons. One, you tend to shed a lot of skin cells when you tie a knot. So whoever the killer was almost certainly would have left their skin cells behind on the knots. And because the knots were tied, the inside of those knots uh, would have been protected from the water. So, so that's a good place where DNA, one, would have been shed and two, would have uh, maintained its integrity and wouldn't have been washed away. From there, I took that information back to all three of the convicted, asked them if they wanted to move forward with the testing. They all did. And particularly, I started working with Damien. Jason, as you guys saw in the docuseries, uh, was excited about it, agreed to do it. Uh, but Damien was the mo was the one pushing it. Uh, he continued to, you know, he, he contacted me, contacted his lawyers. Let's push. How do we make this happen? And then what you see throughout the docuseries is me for, for the better part of six months was trying to contact, uh, Scott Ellington, who was the DA at the time, the one that entered in the Alfred plea and was still the DA in 2019 when we were filming the series. I called him. I emailed him. The production team did. We got Damien's lawyers to call, email. I mean, everybody it wasn't like it was just some random podcaster doing this. Damien's actual attorneys were trying to reach out to him. And all we were asking to do was to do testing. That's it. We just wanted to do this new DNA testing on the evidence. 
Let's see what we find and go from there. Ellington continued continually throughout the entire time, ghosted everyone. He wouldn't answer anyone's calls. He wouldn't answer anyone's emails. Just buried his head in the sand. The docuseries aired, uh, which was uh, in the last weekend of March in 2020, right as the pandemic was picking up. Uh, my, the call to action that I had filmed for the end of the show was me looking down the barrel of the camera telling you all, let's not let this case die. They're hoping that we go away. Let's keep fighting. And I, I gave all the contact information for Scott Ellington's office. I said, write him, email him, call his office. Tell him, you know, social media, we want this evidence tested. Do your job. The, at that point, the audience worldwide did exactly that and pushed him to a point where, uh, and I've seen these emails, I was just reviewing them again last week, uh, where Ellington, what he called it was the bullying of my office, um, had certainly got a response from him, and he said, fine, let's do the testing. Throughout the summer of 2020, we had multiple email correspondences back and forth where Ellington said he would send the evidence for testing, reaches out to the crime lab, they say they don't have it, they say it's at the West Memphis Police Department, reaches out to the West Memphis Police Department, they're copying Damien's attorneys and all these emails, uh, and then they finally said they had the evidence, they're going to package it and ship it out. They asked me to contact the lab that we were sending it to for MVAC and asked for their FedEx account number, got that for them, we were good to go, this was fall of 2020, and then Ellington once again disappeared. Just started ghosting everyone, wouldn't return any more emails, wouldn't return any more calls. He had been appointed to a judgeship that was going to start in January, and it's my opinion that he was close enough to that, that if he could just hide from us for about two or three months, he moves on to be a judge, and it's not his problem anymore. Then in 2021, uh, Keith Cressman is, is then appointed to be the DA now in, in place of Ellington. When Cressman took office, of course, Damien's attorneys got right back onto him, said, hey, let's do this testing. Uh, he explained to them how you know, that he's uh, he's all about finding the truth. He's all about truth and justice and law and order, and he's happy to help in any way he can. And then the next thing we know, he goes before the press and tells them that the evidence is all gone. Uh, and actually, it, as I pointed out at that time, he's very careful with his words. He implies that the evidence is gone. Uh, and he says there was a fire 15 years before. Was it him or the police chief says that? Um, continues to double down on this as the press push him on it. Uh, and then um, the police chief says, yeah, there was a fire 15 years ago, and that's when all the DNA evidence or all the evidence in the West Memphis 3 case was destroyed. Um, we knew that wasn't true. I, I knew I'd seen the emails that that they had their eyes on it back in August of 2020. So there's no way it had been destroyed 15 years ago. Well, so of course, Damien and his team, and again, the, the reason I, I want to make sure that that you know, this 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 applies to Jason and Jesse as well, who both did approve to do this testing and move forward with this. But Damien was the driving force. That's why I was with Damien. He was the one pushing and pushing lawyers to move forward and move forward and move forward to get this testing done. So they start pushing and they're again not getting any response. So they file FOIA requests and say, Where's the evidence? You know, show me where the evidence was when it was destroyed, under whose orders, how did this happen? Then uh, the author, Mara Leverett, who's been a huge part of this case over the years, Mara Leverett files a FOIA request with the fire department and asks them if there was ever a fire that destroyed evidence in the West Memphis 3 case. We found out, no, there wasn't. 
uh, then uh, the state, the the DA's office and the police department refused to respond to the FOIA request. At which point, then Damien's team sued them for not filing the FOIA request for not responding to the FOIA request. Uh, so now we're talking. So the, you understand at this point now, this has been almost two years. We've been fighting with them to try to get this testing done. It was ignored. Okay, fine, we'll do it. Let's do it. Ignored again. Oh, now it's lost. We don't know where it is. It was destroyed in a fire. Uh, and now they're being sued for not responding to the FOIA. Uh, and that's when the city attorney gets involved. And it's the city attorney's job to uh, protect the city, to make sure that they're not liable for lawsuits. Um, you know, they're, they're just trying to protect them from things like this. Next thing we know, this is now December of 2021, uh, about seven months ago, the city attorney contacts Damien's defense and says, hey, we've got the evidence here in the police department. I don't know what the issue is. Come on down and we'll show it to you. Uh, and then, you know, right then the the police chief is then, you know, suddenly resigns. The uh, Damien's defense team, along with uh, Rachel Geyser, who's a PI, who's done amazing work on this case over the years. She, you probably saw her in uh, the documentary West of Memphis. She went with. And they viewed the evidence. And sure enough, there it all was, right where it was always supposed to be, right where it said it was in the other emails in the, the West Memphis evidence room, police department evidence room. Uh, and they were particularly looking to make sure that they had the bindings. They located the bindings. And so now we knew we had it. So now we circle back to we, I mean, Damien's defense circles back to uh, Keith Cressman, the DA, who again had said, hey, I, you know, I have no problem doing this testing. I'm a law and order guy. I'm a truth and justice kind of guy. They say, all right, let's go test. Let's test it. We'll even pay for it. Uh, and he says, it's not my authority to do that. Well, first, he, there's a bunch of him ignoring him, ignoring him. Uh, and then finally he says, well, it's not my authority to do that. You'll have to file a motion with a judge to test the evidence. Now, to be clear, that's, that's, that's not entirely true. It's not entirely false. So yes, to the, the prosecutor does need to get a judge's order in order to allow the defense to do testing. So that, that's, he's not, he's not wrong about that. Uh, typically what's done in most cases like this that we, and with innocence cases that we've seen worked over the years is especially with just testing, the DA will just file a joint motion with the defense and say, Hey, the defense wants to test this. I think it's a good idea. Let's do it. It's a rubber stamp by the judge and away it goes. Uh, and so we kind of thought that's maybe what was going to happen, but also to be clear, the prosecutor does not need any court order to test any evidence ever, even in a closed case. So it's disingenuous to say, hey, I can't do this because he could have done it. That's what Ellington was doing. I know there's a, there's, there's a lot of noise out there by the non-crowd uh, about what, how the law works and, and what could and couldn't happen. Listen, we have, <laughs> we have the emails at Ellington saying, yep, I'm going to send it out. Just give me their FedEx account number. I'm going to ship it out. It can be done. Cressman could have just, he could have done two things. He could have said, I'll just send it out and get it tested. No court order needed. Or he could have joined the motion with the defense, got a judge to rubber stamp it, and sent it out. Instead, he says, ah, sorry, guys, I can't just approve this because it, it's going to have to come from a judge here to file a motion. So the defense did that. And we were kind of half expecting Cressman to agree to it. And instead, he uh, sends a reply giving all these reasons why we shouldn't do the testing. 
The first one, and I've just seen, again, I'm, I'm trying to dispel some of the noise that's out there right now and get us down to the fact. Uh, the first one is, he says, they filed it in the wrong court. They filed it in, in Crittenden County. It should have been in Craighead County. So here's the deal. That's false. It's not, That was a complicated, complex issue because the venue was moved when they put in the Alford plea simply because they needed a bigger venue with more space for more people. Uh, so it was like it was in, 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 in right now in the brain fog I've been going on. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on what, which, whether it was a Crittenden County judge, but they did it in Craighead County because it was a bigger facility or vice versa. Uh, but any case, the judge this week ruled that it was filed in the right place. So that that argument can go away. That's not a thing. But that's one of the things that he, that Cressman uh, re- refuted. That this couldn't be this couldn't be done uh, because they filed it in the wrong the wrong place. Uh, he also argued some timeliness issues, which which we were fully prepared to beat those arguments. Uh, in Arkansas, you have from the time of a conviction up to thirty six months. Any requests for DNA testing is is assumed to be timely. After thirty six months, you just have to show that there is you know there, there's new technology. There's there's something new. And that's the reason why you've went past the three years to do this. That's very easy to explain with MVAC. And again, there's there's people out there that are saying, oh, surely. So the, the conviction was 2011. Surely by 2014, MVAC was being used. It's not. We've had Jared, uh, Jared Bradley, the founder of MVAC or the, the president of MVAC on the show, explain that at that point, no, it wasn't. It wasn't being used in courts. They were doing internal testing of it. They hadn't gone under any fry hearings or anything to be established as as um, an acceptable science yet at that point, and it certainly wasn't being used in Arkansas, and 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 nobody, including the prosecutor, had even heard of it back then. They hadn't even heard about it until I brought it to them. Um, and also, that argument is completely disingenuous because part of the state's rebuttal was we can't use MVAC technology uh, because it's too new and too unknown. It's not reliable, so you can't argue that it's too new and too unknown. And then say they should have done it six years ago. That's ridiculous. You can't have it both ways. Um, but so that was an argument. They argued that, you know, you can't, we can't test this evidence now because we must preserve the evidence, which is another easy argument that would have been easily defeated in a hearing, uh, in the hearing that was scheduled, is because uh, if to preserve it for what? To make the argument that we can't do DNA testing. Because we have to preserve the evidence in case someone wants to do DNA testing is ridiculous. Plus, MVAC actually maintains more of the evidence than any other method out there. Meaning, if they were to MVAC these bindings, they could take a portion of the filter that's used for the uh, MVAC extraction and save seven-eighths of it to be tested later with new technology at another time or by other defendants. So that argument was easy to beat. The timeliness argument was easy to beat. The venue argument was easy to beat. What we thought was easy to beat is where we got hung up. So uh, the state also argued that uh, that like, this whole thing was a waste of time because you can't file for habeas relief when the person is not in the state's custody, which, to be honest with you, I just laughed off. that. And evidently, I was, I mean, I'm, I'm here to admit that I was wrong about that, but it's still insane to me. To say that just because their sentence is over, that they're now free, now they can no longer file habeas. 
We've seen this happen hundreds of times. It happens all, I mean, just in our own podcast, Carrie uh, Max Cook, he entered into basically an Alfred plea in the 90s, pled guilty and was released. He was out for, for 20 some years when uh, he asked for new testing and new evidence came forward and then went before a judge and his conviction was vacated in 20, uh, 2016, I believe it was. Uh, this, ha- this happens all the time. It's not, but again, most of the time what you have is a prosecutor that actually gives a shit about the truth and actually gives a shit about justice. And in that case, the part, you know, they said, Hey, we want to do this extra testing. We want to interview these witnesses. The prosecution agreed to that. They saw the new evidence, went before in a joint motion before a judge and agreed to vacate the conviction, even though Carrie Max Cook wasn't in the state's custody anymore which should have, you know, by the very strict uh, interpretation of the law, been null and void completely because habeas corpus means, you know, present me the body. And they're saying, we don't have the body, so we can't do that. Um, so that's the one that hung, that, that hung us up was uh, the state argued that this whole thing is nonsense because he's not in custody, so therefore there can't be any habeas action. The thing is, we didn't file for habeas. We didn't file for habeas relief. We only filed for DNA testing. So now let me jump to what happened in this hearing. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, so getting back to the hearing, uh, you know, so we, we, we filed all these motions for the judge. The state rebutted it. Uh, and then, you know, we didn't know what to expect from the judge, but then, but then much to everyone's surprise this winter, the judge orders oral arguments. She says, June 23rd, 2022, come to the courthouse and I'll hear these, argu- these arguments made in front of me. That was a really, really big, uh, win for us because that meant that the judge was taking this seriously. She's, she's going to allow us to bring in witnesses and expert witnesses and make arguments instead of just issuing a summary judgment, which is basically just a written order where they rubber stamp yes or no. Um, so we're pretty excited about it. Also, what that meant was after the after the reply brief from the state, the state was locked into the arguments they made in their reply, which isn't great for them. They made some pretty terrible arguments, ridiculous arguments, the ones that I had just explained to you before. And in this hearing, they couldn't raise any new issues. So I, I had dinner with Damien and and several people, including Patrick Banka's attorney, uh, the night before the hearing, and we talked about that. He was and 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 the the mood was really good. You know, Banka. You know, as you know, he, he's he's an, he's an attorney, so he you know he said you know you never know. I don't want to give anybody false hope, but yeah, I'm pretty confident in this. I'm very confident that we can make these arguments. 
uh, Damien was uh, was really in good spirits. Uh, he, you know, and this is I'm I'm telling you this because it's it's attributed really to all of you. You know, he looked at me and said, "I want to thank you for giving me what very well be my last chance to clear my name." Uh, and and that was that that hit me hard. It was very impactful to me. And what and what he's saying is that you all gave him this last chance to 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 clear his name. So things are looking good. You know, there's people from all over the all over the country. I think some people even traveled internationally to come to this thing. And the next day, the shit show begins. Uh, and and we kind of figured out real quick that something something was up. So let me so let me break down what this judge did, uh, which was a, 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 a there's no other explanation in my opinion other than she was intentionally trying to dissuade supporters from being there. She was trying to, in my opinion, she was literally trying to hurt the supporters. Uh, so you've got hundreds of people. They know this is coming. They know all these people are, it's very obvious because they had, I don't know, 10 cops there, five different cop cars barricading the parking lot off. It was, it was insane. They moved the courthouse. It wasn't the courthouse listed on the 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 paperwork when she gave the order for the for the hearing it says that the that the hearing is going to be held in Marion at one courthouse but it was actually held in West Memphis talked to three different people that called the courthouse on the morning of to verify where they were going and the people at the court told them to go to Marion uh when it was actually in West Memphis so that was the first thing we thought okay they've got everything barricaded off here they've got cops everywhere and they're intentionally sending people to the wrong building. Uh, in fact, it got so confusing, Damien went to the wrong building. I was at the courthouse with his attorneys and, and, and his team, and no Damien because they had gone to the wrong building because they were confused by it. So eventually we all get there, and it's at this point it's about 8.30 in the morning. The hearing's at 9.30, and we go to walk in. Now, the police are really putting – there's this parking lot, if you can imagine, you know, the, the courthouse and then running – Horrors, you know, parallel to the courthouse is a section of parking lot and then a section of grass and then another section of parking lot. And as people are kind of standing out in the parking lot, the police pretty forcefully are kind of pushing people, telling them, no, you have to stay back. You can't be on the grass or this section of parking lot. You have to be on the back section of parking lot. So they're doing that. And then uh, myself and Damien and Patrick and, his, and Damien's wife, Lori, and the, the group of people that Damien wanted in there with him. Uh, we start to walk in and the cops stop us and Patrick's telling them, Patrick Bank is telling them, I'm the attorney. I need to get inside and get set up. And he's, nope, we're being told nobody can be allowed in yet. Not even the defendant, not even the attorney for the defendant. So this is super fishy. Mind you, it's close to a hundred degrees and we're all standing outside in the heat. And this goes on way too long beyond nine 30. It's, it's the after the time the hearing was supposed to start, uh, we were still standing outside. Even the attorney couldn't let come in. Then one of the police officers comes up to us finally and comes up to Patrick Banka and says, all right, all right, you and him can go in. There's not much seating in the courtroom, so we want to make sure you guys get in. Then we'll let whoever, whatever other uh, supporters here want to come in with you after you guys are in there. And he says, okay, well, these people right here, I think there was like 11 of us total. Uh, Jillian Pensavalli was one from the True Crime Obsessed podcast, who was extremely close friends with Damien and his team, myself, Zach, uh, that was there, uh, some other close friends, Lori, of course, Rachel Geyser, 
Uh, yeah, and Patrick says this group right here is with the defense. They come with us, and and he says okay. So we start kind of walking towards the building, and of course nothing's announced. So the rest of the supporters that were outside just all kind of start filtering in behind us, forming this big line. Some of whom got in front of us. They just they just saw the cop walking. They started following the cop. They didn't know who Patrick was or who anybody was. So they just start getting into line. We get up to the door to go into the building. Uh, they open the door. People start shuffling through. And I'm standing in this line between there goes Patrick Banka, me, then Damien right behind me. And uh, Patrick goes in, and then the cop holds his hand up and says, okay, he had a, somebody from inside and radioed him and said, that's it. No more. And we're like, what do you mean? They had let maybe 12 people in the building. Like, what do you mean no more? There's, there's got to be room for more people in there. And the, the cop, the, the officer was very nice. Like later learned that none of this was his doing. He was being ordered to do all this stuff by the judge. But he says, no, you can't, you can't hang on. Well, let, 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 we need to get these people seated and then we'll see how much room there is left. And that's when uh, myself and Jillian pointed out and said, well, don't you think you need him? Because Damien was still outside. And so, he, uh, so he grabs Damien and, and Damien's like, my wife's coming with me. Uh, and, and he reluctantly let his Lori go in with Damien. So they get scooted off. Rachel Geyser is like, I'm the defense investigator. I'm supposed to be in there. They finally let her squeeze in, but none of the rest of us or the, the line of 200 people that was behind us. So we wait and wait, hoping that once they start seeing people that they'll let us in. And then there's more chaos from inside. Rachel Geyser comes out and says, we need masks. They won't let anybody in without a mask. Now, mind you, Arkansas hasn't had a mask mandate for two years. Not at the courthouse, not anywhere. I actually asked the officer standing there. I said, why do they normally wear masks in there? And he said, I've never worn a mask in this building ever. Not once. So then we said, okay, no big deal. I guess they'll put them in masks. They didn't have masks. There were no masks inside. So now the only 15 or 16 people that they let inside the building they're telling them, if you don't have your own mask, you can't stay in. So you see a pattern here now, right? They've already made it very uncomfortable outside. Now they're only letting 15 people in. They're not letting Damien have his team that he wants in there with him. They won't let, that, they won't let them in. And then they tell the people that are inside, if you don't have your own mask, you can't stay inside. Luckily, somebody had a box in their car. They ran out and got them, and they had enough mass to pass around for Damien and the rest of the people inside. Who, which, by the way, once they get inside, guess who's not wearing a mask? Keith Cressman nor anyone at the state's table wore a mask at all, not for one second in that courtroom. It was only the defense that they made everybody wear a mask. So then they go in, we're waiting, the officer comes out and says, if I can come up with a couple seats, you guys start working out who's the most important to go in. Because it may only be one or two, uh, which people, of course, were pretty appalled at that we had to. Because, you know, we had, uh, they, there was a, a gentleman behind us, a couple, that the man is a pastor, uh, at, which this may surprise some of you. Um, but, but you know, Damien have, has his own faith with the magic and things, but he's a student of all religions and he doesn't judge anybody for anything. This guy's a Christian pastor that he had coming with. There was also um, a Mormon bishop. They were friends uh, of Damien's that were part of this team that he wanted to be in there. Uh, Jillian, myself, Zach, all of us were all standing outside. So then as we're all sitting there kind of steaming, 
and and they're just bringing take finally taking people we can see going into the courthouse uh or into the courtroom the officer comes out and says that's it like what do you mean there's got to be room for at least four more the four of us right here that he asked to come in with him they said the judge said no more and they closed the door she's already in there and the hearing is began now mind you it's close to 10 o'clock at this point we're already way late and of course we're like you you got to be kidding me and the and the cop said he turned to me and said, can you please tell the line of supporters they have to go back over to the other side of the parking lot and wait, there's no more seats. And I was obviously not happy with that. I said, you know, he should do it. And and he grabbed me and said, look, I'm just doing my job and I'm trying really to keep this peaceful. And I don't think me shouting that order is going to be helpful. And I agreed with him. So I announced to the crowd that there's no more seats, the courtroom's full, and we need to go back across the parking lot and wait. And, you know, hopefully people will come out throughout the days throughout the day with updates for us. So we all move back. Everybody's furious. It's closer. It's right at 100 degrees at this point. It is steaming outside. And uh, so people start getting in their cars to turn the air conditioning on to cool off because, you know, we figure we're going to have a couple hours before they get a break. Um and then uh, Jillian, Zach, and I jump in my truck and drive down to uh, a Walgreens down the road and get a bunch of cases of water. All these people outside, it's hot. They've already been out there for over an hour and a half. So we come back with the water, and uh, and, and I go out and start passing out water to people. And I notice everybody's outside in the heat. And it's steaming. I see you know elderly woman, children, a pregnant woman. Like, and it is smoldering hot outside. And I asked them why they don't they don't go in their cars and cool off. And they said when we left, the officer to go get the water, the police officers went up to every car and knocked on the window and said, if you're in your car, you have to leave the premises. If you want to stay here in support of Damien, you have to stay outside of your vehicle. In the hundred degree heat. Elderly people, children, pregnant women. Everybody was forced to stand outside in the heat or leave. So I hear this as I'm passing out the water right then. An officer comes up to me. It was the same officer I talked to earlier. And and uh, he says, hey, do you have enough water for everybody? And I'm about to lose my shit at this point because I think he's pulling some kindergarten stuff. Like, if you don't have enough for everybody, you can't pass it out. Uh, but that's not what he was doing at all. Um, I said, I brought 100 bottles. I don't, as much as I can go get more. And he goes, no, no, no. I was just checking. He said, I've got two or three cases in my squad car. Uh, so if you guys run out of water, please let me know. You're welcome to any of the water I have. I'm so sorry about this. And I, I said, well, what is going on? Why are, why are these people being forced to sit outside? Why are you doing that? And he said, it's not me. He said, I think it's terrible. I told them inside, if you want me to keep the peace, having people outside in the blazing heat for hours is not the way to do it. Uh, but he said they have people, the judge has people inside watching. And anytime somebody gets in their car, then they're ordering him to pull the people out of their car or or make them get out of their car or force them to leave the premises. And, and he was humiliated. It was, I, you know, I, I, I had it to the West Memphis police department in this instance, the crew that was there, they were doing their job. They were as kind as they possibly could be. At least this gentleman that I dealt with, who seemed to be kind of the leader of the group, um, he was, you know, he was given orders that he had to follow. So I don't blame them for it. Uh, but it was, it was pretty awful. We were all standing out there in the sweltering heat. And I asked him, have you ever done this? He said, no, he said, none of this is, 
we've never worn masks in that building. And he, he even said, I don't know why there's only 15 people in there. I don't know why they're not letting you guys be in your cars. I don't know why any of this is happening. And, and I just told him, I said, well, I think I know why it's happening. And I can hear my voice fading away. So I'll try to speed this up before I run out. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So at that point, he leaves, and I'm just kind of stewing about all of this. And I actually realized that Jillian was still in my truck in the air conditioning. And they didn't realize she was in there because I got out of the truck and so did Zach. So I told Zach to poke his head in the back door and and grab his hat or something and just tell Jillian, hey, don't get out because they don't know you're in there. Uh, and right then, everybody comes out of the courtroom. They come marching out of the courtroom and it had only been 15 minutes. So, you know, of course, everybody rushes over. We're hoping that means that the pro- usually in a situation like that, in my experience, that usually means the prosecutor said, you know, we, we, we've decided to join the motion. We're not going to fight this because it, it was way too fast, you know, for it to be happen that quickly. Uh, Mara Leverett comes out and, and tells us all what happened. And she said the judge ruled that because, that, uh, because Damien is no longer in custody, habeas doesn't apply. And therefore he can't apply for habeas relief, which is what I was explaining earlier. And she shut it down. She had that, she had that decision predetermined. I'm going to get into the decision here in just a minute, but just while we're on the subject of what they did and how they treated all of the supporters, everything from making us wait outside for an hour and a half before the hearing in the heat, not even letting Damien's attorneys in during that time. And then we get up to the door. They only allow 15 people in. They won't let Damien have the people he specifically said he wants in with him. Telling them they have to wear masks in a building where they don't require masks and do not provide masks, and then allowed the state to sit there with no masks on, but only the defense and the supporters had to wear masks. Then they wouldn't let people wait in their cars. They had to stand outside in the hundred degree heat, and and I tell you what, the, this this crowd are a bunch of badasses because the easy thing to do, you just got told it's probably going to be an eight hour hearing. You can't wait in your car. You have to stand outside in the heat. They thought that would deter us, but I didn't see a single person leave. They found shade where they could found it, find it, and they were in for the long haul, no matter how hard that they made it. But then we find out the courtroom hold held from what the people that were inside estimated the courtroom probably held two to 300 people, at least 200 people. I was told by three different people that every single person in that parking lot could have fit into that courtroom. The judge 
claiming COVID protocols that don't exist in that building. They have never done in that building, from what I was told by the officers. She only allowed one person every six or eight feet in the pews. There were like pews like a church pew, they're benches. Huge room. Every six feet, they would allow persons, only five people per row in a row that was probably meant to hold 50 people. Then they skipped a row between seats and then the same thing. So, so it, where, where there could be 150 people, there were 15 people. Uh, or, no, there were 10 people where there could be 150 people. You get the idea. And then the icing on the cake was, by the way, they made Damien's wife sit in the back. She couldn't sit by Damien because of these rules. And then when Damien was saying these people right here, the four of us that were still standing right outside the door that he wanted in that room with him, the last row of the courtroom, even by their crazy standards that they were doing, there was only one person in the last row that even by the insane seating requirement she put in there, there was still room for four more and she refused to let us in. And the icing on the cake was that the hearing was not even necessary to begin with. Like I said, this should have been a summary judgment. You don't, I've never even heard of anything like this before. She ordered oral arguments. She had expert witness lists submitted. People that were paid for by, by, by you guys through the purchase of the shirts. Experts to come in and testify. People traveling from around the country. You know, Damien's, uh, Damien came up from New Orleans, and he's got people on his team coming from New York and California. Zach and I came from Michigan. Uh, Jillian came from New York. Supporters from all over the place. Hotels, the travel, all that to be at this hearing for oral arguments. And she opens up with, this is a real, she, she, she real quick said there was a question of the venue. The venue's not an issue. That's fine. Whether this is habeas or not, that's the problem. He's not in custody. It's not habeas. And of course, I didn't get to be in there and see it. So I haven't, and there's no transcripts yet. But I'm told that she shamed Damien from the bench for taking the Alfred plea. She told him, well, if you wanted to use this new technology, you should have done it before the Alfred plea. You took the Alfred plea, so now you're not in custody, so now it's not habeas. Damien's attorney, who Patrick, who I talked, spoke with afterwards to, to get a better understanding of this, explained to her that we did not ask for habeas relief. We asked to test DNA evidence, and I'm going to read it to you here. We asked to test DNA evidence under Arkansas Code Chapter 16, subchapter 112, subchapter 202, which says, except when direct appeal is available, a person convicted of a crime may make a motion for the performance of DNA testing or other tests which may become available through advances in technology to demonstrate the person's actual innocence. That's very clear. Under that standard, we have every right to do this testing, and certainly to, to make the motion and argue it before her. But here's the rub. And I've not seen this interpreted this way by anyone else. I've been trying to search some case law. All I keep finding are people who did DNA testing. Here's another example. Uh, Tim Cole. Uh, look him up. He was, he was exonerated posthumously. He died in prison. And then his family continued to push for DNA testing in his case. They finally did it after he was dead, proved his innocence, and he was exonerated after he was gone. 
You'll find cases like that. You won't find cases where a judge has ruled, sorry, you're already out. So that's really the only consequence of your conviction was being incarcerated. And therefore, you can't do any, any habeas work at all. There's been plenty of people whose convictions have been overturned with habeas after their sentence was served. Uh, but as I just read to you, you know, we're not in direct appeal. There's new technology. And they believe this can, they can prove, Damien believes this can prove his actual innocence. Meets all the requirements. But here's the problem. Subchapter 2 that breaks down new scientific evidence testing falls under Chapter 112 of the Arkansas Code, which is the habeas chapter. There's our problem. The, the code itself, that as I read it to you, the, what you need to do to have the ability to test new DNA evidence is explained very thoroughly in 16.112.202. The problem is that code lies within chapter 112, which is the habeas chapter. And so that's what the judge's ruling was. Because it's in the habeas chapter, even though it doesn't say anything about habeas in the requirement for, for the testing, it's habeas, he's not in prison anymore, and therefore he can't do the testing. I can't even rule on it, so it's just denied. And the non-crowd went wild. You should see social media. I'm sure you've already seen it. It's pretty amazing how as soon as the people that are arguing have been fighting and screaming that these three guys are guilty for this whole time, as soon as they find out that Damien, who has been fighting with everything he has to do this testing, gets denied the ability to test it, which means the ability to prove the truth of what actually happened. Once that has been suppressed by this judge, now they're out in full force. Now they're all excited. And, and how dare any of us think that we should have any hope when it's so obvious they were the killers, which is super easy to say when they think that this is over. But I've got news for you. This isn't even close to over. So the judge from the bench said something that sparked, sparked some curiosity in Damien's attorney and the rest of us. She said, you need to go to the legislators and, say, and, and change this law. Because this law says that for habeas, you must be in custody. So they need to change that for you to get any relief. I should back up. I'm sorry. I want to point out that when Banka argued that we're not asking for habeas relief, we're just asking to test the DNA, he says that she said, well, yeah, but if you get a favorable result from the DNA, then you're going to want to do habeas. And you can't, so this is pointless. Which I'm not a lawyer, but doesn't seem quite right to me that based on the speculation of what they might do next, that she can overrule this. But she did. She's the judge. She can do what she wants. But she suggested that we change the law. And we got to talking about it. And that's something that I think that we can do. We literally need to add two words to this, to this Arkansas code to, to, to make it so that anybody who has been convicted can file for habeas relief, whether they're still in custody or they've been paroled or they're on probation. If they don't have to physically be in the jail cell, which is what she argued, in order to do this. We've just got to come together, contact legislators, present them with our case, and hopefully get someone to sponsor a bill that will change this. So that's, that's going to be in the motion. In the meantime, we're appealing this to a higher court. Now, I can't tell you I'm not a lawyer, and, and you won't get a real lawyer 
to tell you how they think one, this is going to go one way or another. I can just give you my uh, my my uh, amateur opinion. I think this has a very good shot at being overturned on appeal. The fact that uh, the, just the allowing for the testing because we didn't ask for habeas. So this, I mean, th- there are, there's an appeals court. There's the Arkansas State Supreme Court. Then there's the federal Supreme Court all ahead of us. And I, I, I have a hard time believing this somewhere along that line, especially when we get to the federal government, because they'll be looking at case law everywhere. That it, that it is, un, I believe it is unconstitutional to deny him the right to do this testing, especially when he's willing to pay for it. He meets the requirements of the code and he's not asking for habeas. Again, I'm not a lawyer, so we'll see how that goes. But it's going to be a tough road to hoe. We've got a long way to go. This isn't going to be over in a couple of months. This is going to take years at this point. But the thing that I want to leave you with today is the fact that after this ruling came down, of course, everybody was devastated. I was really devastated. As a matter of fact, I tried to give an interview afterwards, and I couldn't even hold it together. But it wasn't because of the ruling. It was because Damien had done a very good job in his life of moving on. Once he got out of prison, doesn't want to talk about the case. He wants to, as he said, he's lost so much of his life. He wants to live the rest of it. He doesn't want to live it back in prison. I came into his life and gave him hope. It took a long time, but I pushed him into finally believing that we could actually do this. We can actually do this testing and we can actually solve the case, clear his name and figure out who murdered those boys. And he finally started believing it. And that's when he got his lawyers involved and we started pushing for this. All just to have the rug yanked out from us in a matter of 10 minutes by a judge who already had her mind made up. I felt like I, I misled him somehow that I, that I opened up new wounds where he would have been better off if he just kept living his life. But after we had these discussions with, with Banka and, and other supporters and people on the team about this path forward, Damien called me on my way home, and he has a whole new outlook on this. For the first time, he's told me he is excited about moving forward. Before, he was motivated, and that's a hard distinction to make, he, but he was motivated but he certainly dreaded any time he walked into that courtroom because if you know he had, look what happened to him every time he did even when he was released he still had to take a guilty plea to get released but he's excited now he's excited for the battle ahead he's i've talked to him multiple times this week about where we go from here and the reason he's so excited is because there's a clear path to victory here it's a hard one and it's a long one but it's a clear path to victory. But at the end of that road, if we win, this doesn't just get his evidence tested. The state has now put us in a position that in order to win, we change the law for everyone. And as Damien said, you know, because people have told him, the judge shamed him on the stand or in in that hearing and said, well, you should have just, you shouldn't have taken the Alfred plea if you thought there was going to be new testing down the road. They said that's some great logic. You know how many of his friends that were on death row for him that were fighting for DNA testing at that time have since been executed by the state without their testing ever being allowed. Anybody that says that you know, that you know him taking the plea as an indication of his guilt is just ridiculous. The funny part is these people all consider themselves constitutionalists. 
And yet they will say that because you took this plea, you're obviously – wherein you, you maintained your innocence, that's an indication that you were guilty because you could have just stuck it out and gone to this hearing in December. None of those hearings have ever gone his way, ever. He'd been screwed over by the system over and over and over again. And to his point, in 2017, when Arkansas's medication they used for lethal injection was about to expire, they murdered a whole bunch of them just to get rid of the, the medicine. He certainly would have been one of those people. So, so don't even bother wasting your time engaging with that argument with idiots on the internet. And just look, if, if you truly support this case and this cause, just look at our path going forward. What we're going to try to do, one, is appeal this ruling. And I almost hope it makes it to the Supreme Court before we win that battle. Because if this, if this, if this ruling is overturned at the appellate level that high, then it sets legal precedent for everyone, not just Damien. In the meantime, we're going to be working to get with legislators to fix this problem. A simple couple of words need to be changed and added to this Arkansas code about DNA testing and about habeas that can change the way post-conviction works for everyone in the state of Arkansas. And so that's what we're going to be working towards. I don't know if it'll work. I don't know if we'll find any politicians that are agreeable to it, but I certainly hope that that's the case especially consider we're coming up on an election. And with that, my voice is about gone. I intended to give you guys a 10-minute recap, and uh, it's been over 50 minutes now. So I'm going to end it with that. Uh, make sure you tune into this week's Friday follow-up uh, for more discussion on the West Memphis 3 case. You feel free to answer, to put your questions into the follow-up. We're recording that tomorrow, Wednesday. Um, so you can get those questions in, and we'll be sure to answer them in this week's follow-up. Uh, thanks guys. And we'll talk to you on Friday. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.